We thank you for being God. We thank you for being our God. We thank you for being the God of all creation, the sovereign king, the governor of nations, the ruler of the earth. We bow before you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the gathering of your people. Lord God, we are certain of this one thing that you have not called us together in vain. That reason for which you have called us together this morning, let it be accomplished in the mighty name of Jesus. Let no one leave the same way they have come. Every imagination, every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of your word, Lord God, let them be cast down and let your word be enthroned upon our hearts and let your name be glorified. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Let's put our hands together for the choir. Let's put our hands together for Jesus. Hallelujah. That was powerful. You may be seated in God's wonderful presence. Amen. Okay, I bring you a word this morning. I have titled, God is not in it, but he will walk through it. God is not in it, but he will walk through it. We thank God for the powerful words of that song, which the choir just took, that says, may your struggles keep you near the cross. May your struggles not drive you away from the cross, but let it drive you to the cross. It says, may your whole life prove that God is good irrespective of what you think of your life that well your life there's nothing to show for it or nothing has happened or you are not where you want to be may your whole life prove indeed that God is a good God powerful powerful words amen Amen. and that tells us that every one of us has a story every one of us have been through struggles and each one has a story And your story needs to be heard by somebody. Someone needs your story to be encouraged to continue in the journey of life. And part of our stories have to do with scars, scars, wounds. There are physical scars. There are emotional scars. But both of them are just as real whether physical or emotional the physical one is evident it can be seen sometimes it can be felt but the emotional ones are invisible they cannot be seen sometimes you see people that have certain limitations in life certain things that are so easy for you to do and you are wondering why can't this person just do these things sometimes it is the scars that they are bearing in their lives that is the cause of those limitations that they have that is why we must be patient with people patient again some scars are self-inflicted while some are inflicted on us by somebody else Perhaps somebody who had 
or has authority over us. Someone you were unable to prevent from inflicting you with those scars. And I do know that some of us here may have been victims of somebody else's abuse. It could have been somebody cheated on you. Somebody cheated on your relationship and it has cost a scar. It could have been somebody you looked up to disappointed you. It could have been a business relationship with somebody you trusted and the person betrayed you. The causes of scars are innumerable. But the answer and the solution to them are the same. Scars tell a story. Scars tell a story. If you have a scar on your body, and I do have some scars, for most of them I can tell how I obtained those scars. Whether when I was playing as a young boy, or when I was being naughty, I look at those scars and I remember how they came to be. And we understand also that uh, there are wounds from every area of life. Any area of life you find yourself, be sure and be rest assured that you may not be exempted from obtaining scars. And there are also two kinds of people with scars. Those who are proud of their scars and those who are embarrassed and ashamed of their scars. There are those who every now and then take pride in showing off their scars. They tell you, oh, when I was in so-so and so place, like I mentioned in the first service, an uncle who always says, look at this scar I have in my hand. I got it during the civil war when we were fighting. We were fighting the armies of Nigeria. While some are embarrassed about theirs, they hide their physical scars or emotional scars. They don't want anybody to see them. So there are scars, and that must be understood. And I dare say that every one of us here is carrying a scar. Some physical, some emotional, more emotional than physical. And this morning, we want to talk about a woman in scriptures that bore scars or has scars or was card. This woman in the scripture is a person that people have had arguments over. She is a, 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 a dividing character, a polarizing character. Some people disdain her for what they feel that she did. While some others feel for her for what they feel was done to her. And the truth of the matter is that as I personally read more into this story, I personally am more convinced that her scars are as a result of what was done to her rather than what she did. The woman I'm talking about is the woman named Bathsheba. Bathsheba and King David 
had an affair. And this woman was pulled into a vortex, a web, a complicated situation that brought destruction upon her. She did not ask for it. She did not want it. She did not pray for it. But she just found herself in it. And the truth of the matter is that the story of Bathsheba is a story that you can read and you gloss over it without really feeling the pain and the tragedy that this woman went through. It is a story of a woman who understands what it means to be wounded by somebody else that you have no control over. Again, before we begin to read the story in Second Samuel chapter 11, let me say this. Whatever it was that happened to Bathsheba, God was not in it, but God walked through it. Whatever it is that may have happened to you, I can tell you whether whatever negative thing that has happened to you or distasteful thing that has happened to you, God was not in it, but God will walk through it. In the name of Jesus. I say God will walk through it. In the name of Jesus. And here's a story. 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11 from verse 1. 2 Samuel 11 from verse 1. I will read from the New Living Translation. And I read. 2 Samuel 11 verse 1. I, I would want everybody to go with me. Thank you. In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after the, his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find her. Sorry. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rite after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I am pregnant. First of all, the Bible tells us that it was a time that kings go out to battle. But David chose to stay at home. David chose to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. I want to talk about time. Again, the scripture makes us understand that it was late in the afternoon. That means early evening 
David had just woken up from an afternoon sleep, an afternoon nap, an afternoon siesta. Scripture says it was at the time when kings were supposed to be out at war. David had sent all Israel out to war, but he himself stayed at home. Brethren, if you want to live an overcoming life, learn to be at the right place, at the right time, doing the right things. David opted out of a war and he delegated the war out and decided that today I'm going to hang my feet up on the cushion and stay at home and watch home video or spoil myself. And the Bible tells us interestingly that while he was at home, his army was successful at war. They had defeated the Ammonites. They had laid siege on Reba. And David gets up from his afternoon nap. And he begins to walk on top of the roof of his house. On top of the terrace of his house. And in a nearby place. Was a woman Bathsheba. Bathing. Now it is important we understand. And this is where the robber meets the road. This is the place where a lot of people had vilified this woman Bathsheba. But I want to say to us this morning that this woman was not engaged in any form of public nudity, public display of her body. She was not an indecent person trying to show off. She happened to be at the right place at the right time. What she was doing, taking a bath, was not showing off at all. As a matter of fact, if you read into the scriptures, you will see that she was probably in a private place, in the privacy of her compound. You will see that what she was doing was partaking of a ceremonial duty which scripture prescribed. In those days, when Israel had escaped from Egypt, God made all manners of laws for the children of Israel to regulate their living and their conduct. Some of the laws that God gave them were sanitary laws to ensure that men and women were always cleansed. So this woman was performing a ceremonial duty. She was having a ceremonial bath or what could be called ritual cleansing. She was at the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing. As a matter of fact, she is exactly where she is supposed to be. After her menstrual period, she went to have a ceremonial bath as prescribed by the law of God. She was exactly where she was supposed to be. But 
on the contrary, it was the king, the giant killer, the psalmist, who was at the wrong place, at the wrong time, doing the very wrong thing. Now, I must mention, at this point, it was all accidental. At this point, it was innocent. King David got up from siesta, stretched himself, and said, let me take a walk upon the terrace of my palace. And at that point, he happened to see something. You know how sometimes you can be driving on the road. You are not the one who put that person on the road to dress the way the person dressed. But you see something. What makes the difference is what you do five seconds after what you see. That is what determines the outcome. As you are driving and you see that person, the skirt is right here. The, should I describe more? Okay, fine. And you drive past. You have a choice to keep your eyes on the road or to look at what? The rear view mirror. It's a choice. Are we together? Men are not talking. So David at that point sees something. There was no harm. No foul play. (laughs) I... I shared a story in the first service of a young chap. Young chap. Well, he told the story much after he was much older. It's sometimes good for people to be truthful. And I dare say that all of us men here will identify with that story, including me. He said he was on holiday, long vacation. He was in boarding house but had gotten home. Maybe if the first day or second day of his holiday, he said he just woke up at night. You know, that thing that you just wake up, you don't know why you woke up. And the bed was by the window. He knelt over the bed and just looked over. You know, the window was open for there to be air. And there was their neighbor's house that was downstairs. They were living upstairs, but he could overlook that house. And as he looked, just at that point, it seemed like the neighbor, somebody living next door, had just come out, a lady, out of the bathroom, naked. Middle of the night. His room was dark. So there was nobody seeing that he was seeing what he was seeing. So as he saw, he said his mouth was just open like, "Ah, am I seeing right? And his face was glued on what he was seeing. And eventually, to cut the long story short, the woman came and shut the blinds. He said one thing he knew was that for the rest of his holiday, at exactly 12 midnight, he was up there on the window, trying to see what the devil is up to, trying to see whether there would be a repeat act. But fortunately, or well for him then, unfortunately, it did not happen again. What you do five minutes or five seconds after what you see is what determines the outcome. Are we together? Yes, Brethren, are we together? Yes, 
So, the scripture tells us in verse 4 that David sees Bathsheba. And when David saw Bathsheba, he immediately sent messengers to her. And the Bible says he took her. And she came to him. And he lay with her. And he lay with her after she had become purified from her uncleanness or from her monthly cycle. And then she returned to her house. Now the point again must be made because this is where the argument is also. That this woman, she was a bad woman. But I think that this woman was voiceless. This woman was powerless. This woman had no authority. This woman had no choice. That's what I think. And that's what I want you to see in this story today. These were the days of powerful monarchies where kings did anything that they liked. Their word was law. King was king and nobody challenged them. You know again the story of Esther. Esther was a woman in the Bible who had just become queen, had become a favored woman. And Mordecai needed a favor from her and thought, well, new wife, you can go to your husband and ask for favor. And he sent a message to her and said to her, hey, look, we're in trouble. If you don't come to our aid, we'll be dead. Go and tell the king, your husband, that this and this is what is going on. And Esther sent a message back. You all know that nobody comes before the presence of the king if the king does not invite you. If you come before the presence of the king, he does not invite you or he does not hold out the golden scepter to you, you are a dead man or a dead woman. And as for me, for the past 30 days, I have not set my eyes on the king, my husband. You can imagine a queen for 30 days had not set her eyes on her husband. That was indeed a powerless woman who was before a powerful man. And this was the situation with Bathsheba. A powerless, voiceless, choiceless woman before a powerful king who had all authority, who had all dominance, and who, whatever he says, is done. We have absolute power against the absolutely powerless. And indeed... There just could be one or two people in our midst this morning who may be carrying scars of what someone did to you at the time in your life when you had no choice, when you had no voice, and you had no authority. This was a man who flexed his power and his position. And he flexed them so effectively as a tool of seduction. And what did he do? He forced a choiceless woman to his bed. And again I submit, whether this woman protested, whether this woman shouted or screamed, whether this woman kicked and struggled, it really does not matter. Because we know that the man had all the power and she had no voice. 
Church, are you following me? How do we know this? We know this by scripture because I believe very strongly which is the difference between the Bible and any other religion. The Bible hides nothing. The Bible will give the merits and will give the disadvantage. Just because Elijah is a man of God so powerful, the Bible will not cover his weakness to tell us that the man was a suicidal man. The Bible will tell us. Just because Jesus was an all-anointed Jesus, the Son of God, the Bible will not choose to cover up that his own family was a dysfunctional family. The Bible tells it the way it is. We know this because in the Bible we have examples of women who seduced men. We have the story of Joseph who was in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife saw him was an handsome man, a well-built man with six-pack. And as she saw him, he said, man, you look too good. Come to bed and lie with me. We see the story of Lot's daughters. Lot's daughters thought at the point that they were that humanity had been cut off and there would be no more procreation because God had destroyed everything. So they took matters into their own hands. And what did they do? They made their father drunk, seduced him, and had a relation with him. We see the story of the woman called Tamar, a rejected woman in the Bible, who was wounded, who seduced her father-in-law, and slept with him. If what Bathsheba was doing on that day was to entice David... I am certain that the scriptures would have told us. But the scripture did not tell us. Church, are you with me? Are you with me? Oftentimes, (laughs) I am very sorry to tamper with David, the almighty David. See, oftentimes, what happens is that The story of David is so powerful, so big, so great. How he killed Goliath, his acts of courage. Then we begin to see this woman, Bathsheba, as the one who is the bad guy, who is the villain. So what we have here is a man using his power and a woman who was being abused by that same power. But one thing we must understand and one thing we must take away no one of them goes on hot. No one of them goes on scathe. No one of them goes on injured. Both are wounded. Both come out of this story with scars. And that is the foolishness of sin. The insanity of sin. That is also the insanity of lust. When you have uncurtailed an untamed lust. It can lead you to what happened here. Whether it is lust for power, whether it is lust for sex, whether it is lust for fame, anything you have lust for, but you can't tame it, will lead you into the same situation that David found himself. Trust me, you will come out of every such adventure with a dent. You come out of it with a scar, physical or emotional or even both. 
in the heat of every moment, all what we as human beings see is the payoff, the thing that we'll get from it. But you miss the fact that after this payoff, there might be a scar. And I pray that no one of us will be scarred. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. So we mustn't miss the fact that Bathsheba, this woman, had no voice and she had no choice. She was at the right place. She was at the right time doing the right thing. And what does that make us understand? That sometimes in life, bad things happen to good people. That bad things happen to good people does not mean that God is in it. But be assured, God will walk through it. If you are somebody who had been doing what you felt was good and right, and bad came to you, I am telling you this morning, God may not necessarily have been it. But one thing I can assure you, if you keep your faith, is that God will certainly walk through it. I thought I would hear an amen. amen. So as we read this story of this woman, this woman I believe is a gallant woman. As we read the story, we come across a time in this story where she finds her voice. Yes. The Bible says in verse 5 that she sent and told David I am pregnant. For the first time she's speaking. She finds her voice. And the very thing she chooses to say, I believe is a very bold thing. I am pregnant. You know why it is bold? It is bold because what happened between her and David is something that attracted a death penalty. The Bible or the law that God gave in Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 is that an adulterer and an adulteress are liable to be what? Stoned to death. So in this instance, she as the adulterer, she as the adulteress, sorry, David as the adulterer were liable to be stoned to death. It doesn't matter whether nobody could summon the courage to stone David because he was king. But the law prescribed that what happened between them should attract a death penalty. Are we together? But in spite of the danger she was faced with, she spoke up. She went to David the king or sent a message and said, I am pregnant. She didn't miss once. She didn't begin to say, ah, you know what? Uh, I, 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 I think I didn't see my... No, she said, I am pregnant. And that is another way we can tell that she was the seduced. She was not the seductress. So she responds to the affair by saying, I'm pregnant. But he, David, responds by saying to Joab, go and get me Uriah the Hittite. In other words, let us cover this up. Her first response was to come clean. His own first response 
was let's look for an alibi. Let's get a defense to exonerate me. And again, immediately the same authority he used to send for and get Bathsheba was the same authority he used to ask Joab, go and get me Uriah the Hittite. So here we find somebody who has found himself in a mess and what he's doing, he's scrambling to cover up the mess. And the truth is that that's what people do when they are guilty. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 says, The wicked run it when no man pursues. But the righteous is as bold as a lion. Whenever men are guilty, they are fond of looking over their shoulders. Who knows? Maybe that look he looked at me was because he knows what I did. Ah, this stone I kicked just now. Maybe it's God that is punishing me. The wicked always feel guilty. And it is possible that some of us today are running even when no one is pursuing us. God will deliver you in the name of Jesus. So David here is going helter-skelter. He's scrambling, looking for how to cover this. But Bathsheba, on the other hand, is standing firm. Both of them are deeply wounded. And the wound is just about to get even deeper. The reason for Bathsheba, the scars are so deep, is because she's tired of being objectified. To be objectified as a woman is to be made the object of a man's pleasure. And she did not want that. She did not ask for that, rather. Pardon me. Her husband was at war fighting. And she got into a situation that she never dreamt would happen. Simply because she had no voice. She had no choice. And she had no authority. Bathsheba got wounds. from having to lose her own husband. She had wounds from having to lose her own honor. She had wounds from having to lose her own integrity. She got the wound of a mothered husband because David brings her husband and says, go and have some break. You have been fighting too hard. Go and do what? Relax with your wife. I made a joke in the morning. He says, go and chill with your wife. Our young men and our young women, our singles, those who are not married, stop chilling with people of the opposite sex. Because when you chill, it produces children. David said, go and chill. He said, no, I don't want to chill when men are at war. Because chilling 
may produce children. And he wakes up in the morning and sees the man. He says, go and relax with your wife. He sees the man with his guards at the gate. He said, eh? I said, go and rest. You're not hearing. The man said, oh, to you, I won't do. I can't rest. When my colleagues are fighting in battle, I can't rest. When the ark of God is in a tent, I can't rest. No, it's wrong. One would have thought that David would say, you know what, this man, let me just leave him alone. You know, any normal human being, your conscience should begin to prick you at that point. He said, no, I've not finished. He arranged Kai Kai and Ogogoro, mixed it, and the man didn't know. Say, come and take fruit juice. And he took it. The man drank and still, what did he do? Instead of going to the house, he slept at the door of his house. And which is a message for somebody here. A man who had been cajoled, manipulated, instructed by authority to do the wrong thing, refused to give in on his integrity. There are too many of us who make excuses for doing the wrong things because we say, I saw somebody do it or I was asked to do it. That is why they say today that Christians will go into government and they will not come out like any other, but they will come out like people in the world. Why? They go in there, they compromise on their integrity. Here we see a man who refused to bend on his integrity. So, what does David do next? He sends Uriah with a letter and says, go and meet the commander in the war front. Take this letter and deliver to him. And Joab faithfully takes the letter, not knowing that the message he was carrying in his hand was his own death sentence. And he delivered it and he was killed in the battlefront. So here we see Bathsheba coming clean but David desperately engaged in a cover up so literally after Uriah's death after his burial very very likely a short while after she finished mourning her husband David sent a message again and said marry me let us get married and again, you see how the web is getting more and more intricate. I believe very strongly, like I mentioned earlier, that David's plan must have been, by the time that they announced the pregnancy, everybody will say, you know, it's only David that knows. So he was hurrying things up. So by the time the whole world comes, you know, sometimes you don't announce pregnancy. Pregnancy announces itself. What you do in the secret will always show in the open. So, his plan must have been by the time the pregnancy announces itself, most people will say, ah, it must have been on the wedding night that this woman took in. <laughs> Human beings. You know that we all are like that. I shared a story also in the morning of a strong believer, fervent believer, who before you say anything, say, Le broko Sunday. You know all those Christians? They have Christianese language. 
So this lady, this guy was a very active member of the church. And sooner than later, he got married. Was very excited about it. And the whole church was together celebrating the marriage. But five years after the marriage, just five years after, did I say five years? Five months or six months after the marriage, sorry. I think it was five or six months. I can't remember what he said in the story. After the marriage, they learned that the wife was pregnant. And um, because of how fervent this guy is, they began to send messages. And no, this must not happen. No, what did I say? Five months after the pregnant, oh. After they got married, they learned that they announced that the woman was pregnant. And a short while after, news came that she was in labor. She was in labor, yes. And the news went round and prayer warriors gathered together. Ah, no, it must not happen. No, Lord, this must not happen. This kind of thing must not happen to this child. This woman must not miscarry. They began to bombard heaven with prayers. They began to bombard heaven with prayers. No, 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 no. God, we must not allow this. No, your word declares that none shall give birth before his time. This, that, that, that. Some even gathered around the hospital. While they were doing this, news came that she has put to bed. And the baby was 4 kg. <laughs> Somebody say, ah. <laughs> Full set of hair. <laughs> Fingernails. The baby could almost talk. <laughs> and as the news came, somebody amongst those praying, you know, die hard believers, said, This is a miracle. <laughs> Did not want to believe that anything could have gone wrong. And I believe that that's what David was trying to do here. Maybe what he wanted was for people to say, Wow. Look at this bereaved woman that this man got. You know, nobody knew that he killed the husband. Though. Nobody knew. They just feel it was an act of mercy that he took a bereaved woman and married. And people would have said, wow. Ah, this king must be anointed. This woman has been with the husband since, so no child. Immediately he got married. Wham, the child came. This king must be anointed. Anointed indeed. But unknown to David, the scars were growing deeper and deeper. Anytime a man or a woman fails to come clean on something that is offensive to God, anytime we try to engage in cover-ups, trust me, the wound will only get deeper. The issues will only get more complicated. And by the time it begins to unravel, you may not believe it that this is what you started as just an ordinary thought. Also notice this. David is the one that God confronts. Bathsheba, God says nothing to her. When Nathan comes to confront David, because Nathan is the messenger of God, God was speaking through him. Nathan referred to Bathsheba as the ewe lamb that belongs to one person. 
and David as the hoarder who has all of his own sheep but had to have the one that does not belong to him. So God confronts David and pronounces judgment on him. And God told him after he repented, he repented all right too. God told him and said to him, I will forgive you. I will. But you will deal with the scars. And how did God mean that? He said to him, from now on, there's going to be violence and disorder in your home. You may hide things from men, but you can never hide things from God. Sometimes when things begin to go from bad to worse, it may require us for us to stop and check. Am I sliding into an abyss? Am I engaging in a cover-up or something? Or, maybe this is just simply how events should unfold. But the thing I want you to know this morning is that God hates injustice. God will never leave any injustice unjudged. It's impossible. In this case, David was his predator. But he did not go away without scars. Brethren, scars are part of our story. Every human being. What are you doing with your scars? What you do with them is what makes the difference of the outcome of your life. Are you busy hiding your scars one after the other and going into deeper and deeper emotional wounds? Or are you yielding your scars up to God and say, God, heal my scars? Quite a number of us are carrying scars like Bathsheba. But trust me, God may not have been in it, but God will walk through your scars if you yield them to him. Don't engage in a cover-up. This woman went through rejection, went through pain, suffered indignities. At that point in time in her life, she must have been the one saying, why me? I didn't ask for this. Why my husband, who faithfully was serving his nation? Why my child? She carried a child and she lost that child. All of these agonies befalling one woman within a period of time. But she did not lose hope. Bathsheba did not give up. Somehow she knew that God was not in it. But God will walk through it. So let's move quickly to some years after this incident. Bathsheba and Solomon have now had a child called Solomon after they lost. What did I say? Bathsheba and David. Don't mind me. I went ahead. Bathsheba and David now has a child or have a child named Solomon after she had lost the first one. David had also had other children. And David had become very old, had become very sick, had become very weak. 
And as a matter of fact, most of his children at this point in time were in a hurry for him to die. When I was looking, watching CNN yesterday, there's this thing they call the Troop of Colors. The Queen of England is celebrating her 93rd bed in 93rd. The woman can almost jog. You know, so strong. I'm wondering what is going on in Prince Charles's head. This woman, won't you go? You know? No, I don't think he's thinking about that. He's not a bad child. But some of David's children were actually saying, God, please take this man now. One particular one called Adonijah was in a hurry. He wanted the father to go. He wanted the throne so badly. Now what did he do? He planned his own coronation. He invited the priest. He invited the uh, commander of the army. He performed sacrifice. And he declared and pronounced himself king. But the scarred woman who had no voice, who had no choice, who lacked authority on that day found a voice. Church, are you following me? Years before, unknown to Adonijah and the rest of them, David had called her and told her that this your son, Solomon, will be king after me. Bathsheba at this point refused to be victimized by an aggressive stepson, Adonijah, who at this point had power and was using that power and abusing it against a powerless woman. So Bathsheba decided, this time around, my voice will be heard. And in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 15, look at what happened, the events that unfolded. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 15. And Bathsheba went in unto the king, into the chamber. And the king was very old. And Abishag the Shunammite ministered unto the king. And Bathsheba bowed. And did obeisance to the king. Bathsheba bowed to David. I want you to hold that. And the king said, What wouldest thou? What do you want me to do for you? And she said unto him, My lord, thou swearest by the, thou swearest by the Lord thy God unto thine handmaid, that is her, saying, Assuredly, for sure, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my th- upon my throne. And now, behold, Adonijah reigneth. And now, my lord, the king, thou knowest it not, because you are too old. You have gone senile. And he has slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance, and has called all the sons of the king, and Abiathar the priest, and Joab the captain of the host. But Solomon thy servant has he not invited to this feast. And thou, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are upon you, that thou shouldest tell everyone who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, it shall come to pass when my lord the king shall sleep with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon shall be counted offenders, that I and Solomon your son shall be terminated and executed. You know, in those days, they didn't take prisoners for captivity. Nobody takes prisoners. They see you as an obstacle, they take you out. And I believe that this speech that she made to her husband, the king David, 
gave David motivation, welled up anger in him for him to just live, live a little longer to set things right. And the Bible tells us that he gathered Solomon. He gathered his main men, gathered all of them around his sick bed, and said to them, this man, Solomon, is going to be my heir apparent. He's the one who's going to take over after me. Go and get my chariot. Wear him the kingly robe. Put the crown upon his head. And let that chariot with the town crier go round the city, proclaiming and saying, Solomon is going to be king after David. And with this move, Bathsheba, the powerless woman, the voiceless woman, the choiceless woman, the woman with no authority, found her voice. By this single move, Bathsheba became the queen mother. Bathsheba now occupies one of the most important positions in the land. She has transformed from being a silent voice, a victim to lust, to now a vocal queen. Not just a vocal queen, but a powerful queen mother. And she now has a position of prominence. A woman with no voice, a woman with no power, has all of a sudden become a woman whose voice actually mattered. A woman who, by her finding her voice, had come to the place of influence. Let's move forward again very quickly. David actually dies. And Solomon becomes king. And Adonijah, remember Adonijah, the aggressive son, comes to Bathsheba and says to Bathsheba, I need you to talk to the king. In 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 17. 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 17. And he said, Speak, I pray thee, unto Solomon the king, for he will not say no to you. That he give Abishag the Shunammite to, to, to me as wife. And Bathsheba said, Well, I will speak for thee unto the king. And Bathsheba therefore went unto the king, Solomon. Remember, when Bathsheba went to David, the Bible says she did what? She bowed. This time around, then she was a powerless woman. This time around, the Bible says, Bathsheba therefore went unto the king Solomon to speak unto him for on behalf of Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her. She was not the one bowing, no. The king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and commanded that a throne be set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right hand. On that day, history was made. History that some monarchs after David began to follow. When Solomon was made king, what he said in essence was, you know what? <clears throat> I'm also going to make a throne for my mother. Get her a throne and her throne shall be on my right hand. 
which is my hand of authority. So here, we see a woman who was a victim, a woman who was voiceless, a woman who was oppressed, to now becoming the woman who had the strongest voice in the land. God was not in it, but God walked through it. Bathsheba is a testimony of somebody's story here today. Bathsheba is a testimony to somebody's cars in this place. And what is that testimony? That you can overcome everything that wants to overcome you. Are we together? Are we together? Bathsheba allowed the wounds of her life to be seen for good in every situation. Allow the scars that you have gotten to be seen for good. Use it to encourage those who are coming after you and tell them, I went through this at a particular time, part of the time in my life, but I did not quit. I stood, and today, here I am. quit. Don't give up on God. Because God was not in it, but God surely will walk through it. God wants you to use that testimony to encourage those coming after you. Bathsheba allowed the wounds of her life to heal and become the scars that could be seen by everybody. Because nobody entered the throne or entered the palace and did not see the queen mother. Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior, was just like that. He died as a criminal. He died as a thief, hung on the cross for what he did not do, for the sin that he did not commit. The Bible tells us that he was literally wounded for us. Physically, his hands, his brow, his side, they were pierced. And we know that Jesus went to death, went to hell, and went to the grave. And we know that he came out of it transformed. Oh yes, Jesus came out transformed. Because when Jesus came, all those around him could not recognize him. Mary thought he was a gardener. How many of you have watched uh, uh, what's that um, story of Jesus' death by uh, Passion of the Christ? He was on the cross, bruised. His skin was lacerated. But by the time he came out, what happened? He had become transformed and transfigured. Such that nobody knew that it was the same Jesus. What happened was in spite of his transfiguration and transformation, he left his scars. He left it for a reason, for all to see that scars don't make you. You make the scars. Don't let the scars of your life define you. Don't let the scars of your life relegate you. Rise up from the ashes of whatever you have gone through and be who God has created you to be. The devil pierced you. Gave you those scars to do what? 
to obstruct you from fulfilling destiny. But God says, use those scars to become who I created you to be. Each time you keep picking on your scars, mm -mm, they will never heal. They will only bleed. Yield them to God. Give them up to God so that God can use them to bring you and make you who he wants you to be. What are you doing with your scars? Use them right. Are you here? And bitterness is still operating in your life. Don't let it ruin you. Bitterness destroys the container that carries it. Bitterness will destroy you. Are you here angry? Are you in rage? Over what somebody did to you years back. Rage will destroy you. Give it up. And yield it up to God. Surrender that wound to God. And say God come and heal me. Have your way and take your place in my life. Shame the devil. Who wants to be able to clap and say yes. I've got him. One down. Twenty to go. May you not be amongst the numbers. In the mighty name of Jesus. The Bible says, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Today, let God, and let God, allow God's healing powers to begin to flow through you. To begin to walk a walk in you. To begin to bring you to where he wants you to be. You are too important to God. That is why you must know you were not born as a mistake. You were put on the face of this earth to fulfill destiny and fulfill purpose for God. And you will do that in the name of Jesus. I want us to rise to our feet. And together we are going to pray. But before we pray, is there someone here who you probably have been running away from the cross? You've been running away from Jesus Christ. Just because of what somebody did to you. Just because of certain hurts that you had suffered. You had said to yourself, you know what? I am not giving myself to Christ. How can God be in heaven and see me go through what I went through? This message is for you this morning. And if you are here, Jesus is right here calling on to you. And saying, yield your scars to me. Come to me. You cannot be better than I can make you. I will make you and I will mold you. If there's anyone here who is saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you to come and heal me. I need for you to come into my life and come and close up every wound and vacuum. I want you to lift up that hand. Lift it up so that I can pray with you. Is there anyone who's saying, Jesus, I believe that there's someone who's saying, Jesus, I need you to come and close up my emptiness. Is there anyone before we pray, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Pray along with me and say, Lord, everything I need is in you. Everything I will ever want is in you. Father, reach down to me today. Touch me where no man has ever been able to touch me. Reach down deep inside of me. And heal me, O God. Your word says, Heal me, O Lord.
and I will be healed. Save me, O Lord, and I will be saved. I look up to you. Your word says I should look up to the hills. From where comes help? I have talked to men. Men have not been able to help me. Today I lift my voice to you. Today I find my voice in you. And I say, Lord, heal me of my scars. Heal me of my wound. So that my life will be a praise of you. So that I will fulfill your purpose for my life. And I will fulfill destiny to your praise. Thank you, Father, for your healing powers. Thank you for letting them flow through me today. Thank you for making me a new person. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And so shall it be. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen.